1: Hello, I'm Craig and welcome to another episode of Football Kit Memories. Today I meet one of the original co-founders and current head of brand at Mundial, Dan Sanderson. We talk about setting up the magazine for the World Cup in Brazil, developing an engaging tone of voice and working with some of the biggest brands in football. During the show I ask Dan to pick out three of his favourite football shirts and tell us a little bit about what they mean to him. There's Real Madrid, a Spain away and a very questionable Liverpool shirt from the 90s. You can listen to this and other episodes of Football Kit Memories on all major audio platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please do subscribe, share, and above all, enjoy the podcast. Okay, so today on the podcast, I'm joined by the head of brand at Mundial, it's Dan Sanderson. How you doing, mate? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm yeah, good. good, thanks. Good to have you on. Really interested to chat. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. So, Mundial Magazine, you've been there since the start, right? Yeah, so uh, about six years
2: ago now. Myself and Seb, who's still around with the magazine as well, um, we co-founded it for the World Cup. We'd kind of done work in and around football previously. And... um We wanted to do something a little bit more, a little bit bigger, a little bit more ambitious for the World Cup in Brazil. Um, So that's how it started. It was a limited edition magazine. There was only meant to be one. Um, And then like a couple of months after it came out, people started asking us when our next issue was. And we were like, oh, there isn't one, (laughs) um, which isn't a very good answer. Which isn't a very good answer. So we kind of just had to do it. And then it, it sort of snowballed from there. And here we are
1: six years later. What, what do you think about the kind of tone of voice or the way you guys do things that really resonates with football fans? Why are you so successful? Um,
2: yeah, I think there was, I think there was a hunger for it, you know. Especially back then, I think we were doing something slightly different. I think it um, was a lot of clickbait transfer rumor journalism. Specifically okay. back then, that was kind of the bulk of what you could get around football. That was what people were doing, including ourselves in in previous lives, I suppose. Right, um, and we just kind of didn't do that and that was enough for a while and we did, you know, we tried to do something different and tried to talk about the culture around football, which, which was, you know, back, back then, which is only six years ago, but it was was quite different. It was a little bit more naive and football, talking about football kits and talking about boots and, um, talking about things that didn't happen on the pitch where, um, were, were, were a lot rarer than they are now. Right. Um, so, so, yeah, we did it with a ton of voice. We, we always wanted to talk to our audience like we talked to each other about football, um, which some people like, some people don't. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's kind of uh, some people like their, their football journalism a little bit more straight down the line. And we just tried to do something different. And there was enough people who, who really liked it to kind of keep us going and to give us a bit of a foothold. And we extended that to social um extend it a little bit digitally and it, it sort of just snowballed from there and i think it was yeah it filled a gap in people's lives for, for people who loved football but perhaps didn't weren't necessarily bothered about the
1: headlines and and the, and the transfer rumors etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah i think what you guys are really good at is kind of making that, that coverage relatable and accessible and i think like. The focus almost seems to be not what goes on on the pitch, but kind of off the pitch is more important for you guys.
2: Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's probably changed a little bit uh, over, over the course of um, course of however long we've been doing it, the six, the six years. I think um, at first we were very much like, yeah, here's this cool kit, here's this cool booth. Andrea Perlo owns a vineyard, isn't that funny? <laughs> and you can just get that information anywhere now, right? Like that. That yep. was that was. Like I said, it was a little bit more naive. People were, people didn't know this stuff or you had to, you know, really dig for it. And we kind of put it out there in a, as you say, it's very kind of you to say, you know, it's relatable. That's what we always wanted to be. Yeah, We didn't want to kind of be, um, you know, we all go to football, we all play football. We all interact with it on that level. Um, and we wanted to, to take that from fans in culture. You know, there's that you know, which yeah. is kind of where we all came through. We all, we all loved fanzines and wanted to take that onto like a slightly more premium model, take that relatable tone of voice, take that um, from the terraces kind of angle rather than from the press box angle Yeah, and, and put it in, into a new product. Um, I think we achieved that. I think to your point, yeah, at first it was definitely what happens around the pitch um, or, or what happens kind of away from the 90 minutes. I think more and more those two worlds have collided in in um, in the six years that we've been doing it. I think I think you can see a lot more players character come out on the pitch. I think I think we get better access. We get, you know, even down to camera angles and stuff and, and the things that BT Sport do where yeah. you can sort of see behind the scenes and you can see in the tunnel and stuff. That world is, has closed in a bit and, and what a player does in his personal life and what what he does on the pitch are closer than ever and we've moved with that so i I would i don't think it's um i think we we treat them equally now you know what i mean what marcus rashford does um for free school meals and the fact that he's an incredible footballer we want to we want to give that equal billing
1: yeah that's interesting it's really important and i guess like you're not only kind of like much loved around with football fans but brands actually engage with you guys as well to do work for them too
2: yeah i mean after after a couple of years of kind of um doing it as an expensive hobby (laughs) um we we turned it into a very expensive life i suppose or job or whatever (laughs) um and brands did come to us and and we had you know we had contact within the industry and we tried for a long time and, and nothing really happened and then I think through sheer perseverance, it started to happen with with some brands who very kindly took a chance on us. The fir- yeah. I think one of the first ones was Lecoq sportif. Okay. When they had Fiorentina and, and uh, St Etienne's kits, and they yeah. did like a UK launch for that, and we were involved. Yeah. And, we, you know, we'd worked with brands in previous lives, at agencies and stuff, but we'd never really seen that link. We'd like, this is just our passion project. And then it started to be like, oh, maybe there's a bit more to this. And I think as brands started to look, as you say, to interact with their audience in a little bit more of an honest way, I suppose. Right. Um, we, we tried to we tried to be the people to do that for them, and and you know now I'd say that's eighty percent of what we do. You know the the magazine's on pause currently, but that's that's not really anything to do with the fact of how the magazine was performing. It's more the fact that the world's on fire. Um, right. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, when we paused it, it was twenty percent of what we do. It got it got our tone of voice out there. It showed people what we could do. But the yeah. rest of it is us
1: creating content for brands. So, what would be your kind of dream collaboration with a brand? Is there a brand out that you think would work really well with your tone of voice and your style? Um,
2: I mean, we've we've got you know we we're, we're, we're lucky in that we've we've kind of ticked a lot of boxes. We've got to got to do some really cool stuff. We we've worked with football clubs on launches. We've worked with brands to try and get football clubs on board with, with some mass, you know, massive, um, massive projects, probably the two biggest, um, uh, there's only so much we can talk about, but the, um, the, the two biggest kind of kit, kit deals in the Premier League in the, in the last, in the last 10 years or so. Right. You know, in, in the North of England, I'll say um, we, we've, we've been involved in those in, in a small capacity, you know, there's yeah. bigger agencies and there's bigger brands and, um, Producing it and and designing the kits and all, all the back end of it, but we've been involved in in both of those to make to make sure it's authentic and to make sure it connects with those two sets of fans, um, yeah. which I think you know clubs are becoming more receptive to. I, I the one I, I got to work on 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 the Liverpool the Liverpool launch this year. Um, oh wow, an Nike one. Like yeah, you know we we kind of helped a little bit in terms of bring in spy cup 1906 who are a Liverpool fan group I'm obviously a Liverpool fan right I've kind of some mutual friends who are involved in that and what they did is they teamed up with Nike to help give their Nike's kit launch a little bit of authenticity and to and to, and to make it feel real and as a, as a trade-off Nike donated a load of kits to a charity that that's 1906 support and oh, fantastic you know we've seen. You know, I'm sure you have as well and you've, we've seen a lot of kind of football kits over the years, with two football kit launches, I should say, over the years, which are great, but look good and, and, and um, you know, perform well on social and, and the people like the kit and go out and buy it. But what we feel like we can do, and, you know, people may disagree, but what we feel like we can do is we can kind of embed those very good launches with a little bit of authenticity, with some credibility within the fan base, Right and and make it feel like it's doing it's doing something um, that that people are going to like, but also has a positive impact. So we've, you know, not that we there aren't still things that we want to achieve, but we kind of do. We do amazing stuff daily and we, and weekly and yearly, and we're super grateful for
1: that. You know, to, to work on stuff of that scale for clubs yeah. that we love. I wanted to ask as well the the collaboration with Spotify, the giant podcasts. How did that all come about? So. We'd, you know, we, we felt like we had a good foothold with the magazine.
2: We, we had a good audience and people appreciated what we do. Um, and we kind of, you know, when we first started out, we were seen as, like, a very young, green magazine that was kind of finding its way in the world. And now I, you know, myself and Seb and Owen and Sam, we get invited to events as, like, the old hands of the independent magazine, which which seems ridiculous. Right. Because it's only six years, but like, Longevity is incredibly hard to to, to keep hold of, um, especially in print. So we kind of like not completed it, mate, but we were like, we, you know, we, we're, we're there in print, but where we want to be, we want to keep improving, but what else can we do? And um, audio is obviously massive. Um, podcasts were kind of t- taking off and, and we're big fans and we consume a, a lot of audio ourselves. Um, and we saw a little bit of a gap. We listen to a lot of ESPN 30 for 30s. Yeah. And some of those are about soccer, football, um, but they're just sports podcasts. And we were like, that's, a, that's an incredible um, documentary format that we haven't really heard replicated.
1: Yeah.
2: In um, in football, just football. And there's so many incredible blogs sitting around in a room talking about football podcasts. Like genuinely brilliant with with the absolute powerhouses involved, the Guardian, Football yeah. Weekly, Football Ramble—they're all great. That space is done; it's it's taken care of by people who are far better at it than us. So we're like, well, this is us—you know, this is a space. Maybe we can inhabit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was a very long process of kind of finding a partner that would that would trust us to do it to the best of our ability because, um, particularly with the first series, uh, when we were kind of making forty-five minute documentaries about the mls and stuff that, that that come you know that costs money so we didn't want to just do it and half do it on our on our budget we wanted to partner with someone and spotify came to us in the end and we had a, a, a quite a long a long process with them where they were to, you know they trusted us to go and do what we wanted to do and to, and to amplify some of these stories that we've wanted to tell for years the the magnificent seven about the you know a woman who played in each of the the, the women's world cups and stuff like that was, yeah. um, stuff that we've spoken about for a long time. Um, and that we got to do it. And we're in our second series now, the format's slightly shorter. Um, we're hampered a little bit by, by an international pandemic. So we're not jetting off to New York to interview Alexi Lalas anymore, but yeah. you know, we're, we're still producing the sort of, <laughs> the sort of content that we, um, that, we, that we we're really proud of and, and in the format that we're really proud of. Um, the, there's no there's no need to be a, a, a fourth best football ramble for us as far as we're concerned. We want to do the best in, in this field. And it, and I, I say all of this having absolutely nothing to do with it because we've grown to a certain size now where I don't work on Giants and, and part of me is... Um, I'm 50% absolutely gutted because it, I think it's brilliant, yeah. but I'm 50% really proud that we, we
1: you know, something we've created gets to get put out there. Right, right. And no percentage is slightly jealous that you're not involved in it. Massively, yeah. Yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's but I get to do, you know, I get to do a lot of great things that they don't as well. And when they're in a studio uh, recording voiceovers and, and cutting things and, um you know making edits and stuff that, that i'm sure they're a little bit jealous that i'm that i don't have to do that yeah but, um yeah that, that, that you know that's that's where we are with audio we think it's we think w- we can kind of inhabit that high quality documentary space quite well
1: nice nice so i listened to the scotland one today i'm looking forward to uh you know the next series and all that kind of stuff it's good stuff mate great so very much no, no worries. So, listen, I've got one more question on the kind of career stuff before we talk about football shirts. Um, yeah. Being who you are and what you do, uh, what do you think of the term football hipster? <laughs> um,
2: yeah, I, you know, it's changed over the years, hasn't it? It was kind of, um, in this, I so I used to work a hype beast, right? Okay, and that started out as like. That used, that started out as a hype. The word beast started out as like a not a slur, but you know, like it was kind of a negative. It was definitely pejorative, and and they kind of took that and 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 were like, yeah, okay, we are cool, we're into this stuff, and it became you know less less of a negative thing. And I think that definitely happened with football hipster, and it was it was around before we we existed. I think I think basically Paul old Barney Ronay and and Rory Smith just used to get it. On, on Twitter for like daring to take an interest in MLS or or, or you know the Bundesliga um, And that was kind of what it was and, and I think I think it's funny uh, and I think everyone who uses it definitely has a different definition yeah of, of what it means and how negatively they see it um, I think. People now use it as a positive as well. People kind of go, "I'm a bit of a football hipster" when they buy a Palermo shirt or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. it's kind of lost. It's it, what it actually means, or, or, or whether it's negative or positive, has been a little bit lost over time. We've never really taken offence to it. We think it's quite. I think people think they're offending offending us when we, when they say it, but like you know, if you stick Palermo on the cover, you're gonna get it, aren't you? It's yeah. We've not exactly tried to shy away from that. We, you know, we had a, a painting of Francesco Totti on one cover, I think. So you've got to own, you've got to own it to some extent. But I also think it's like I don't really know what it means anymore. It's you know, you can watch Bundesliga on BT Sport or whatever. So yeah, is is it something that exists? Is is it, you know are people really going on a record
1: shopping trip to Hamburg and catching a St Pauli game? Probably. Not. <laughs> well, I think you guys have always been very good at kind of like being able to laugh at yourselves as well. Like, I remember, like, the Reads I once meme thing that used to run. Like, do you still do that on social? Yeah. I haven't seen it in ages. Um, yeah, sort of. I mean, the magazine's not coming
2: out, so it's a little bit hard to, <laughs> yeah. to, to do that at the moment. But, yeah, like, I think particularly on social, we've never really taken it that seriously. I think people think, you know, that we're, we're being serious all the time, but like we're not, we know, we know there's too many football kits. We know there's there's possibly too many boots out there and and that the the Brazilian fourth division is isn't necessarily like it's uh, yeah we've always been kind of taking the piss out of ourselves because that's what fanzine culture did, right? And and, exactly. and that's that's where we came out of it's um and we've got enough people around us who don't work for the magazine who'll tell us. You know what I mean? Particularly like back, back. I live in London now, so particularly back home, if if a tweet goes out and it's if it sounds like we're taking ourselves too seriously, or if it's too f- football hipster, I'll, I'll get a slew of WhatsApps being like, What's this? <laughs> um, so there's, you know, there's enough. I, I think, I think there's the uh, there's people who are on beyond our audience, or maybe aren't familiar with us, who 50% of them think we're like, um, tragic kind of football. Casual want the good old days back. Characters, right? Fifty percent right. of fifty percent of them think we're like we we ride to work on a penny farthing and and, <laughs> on, and only watch Super League games. And it and, and the truth is just somewhere in the middle, probably. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> no smoke without fire, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah,
2: no. no <laughs> some of it's not incorrect.
1: So mate, should we talk about some football shirts? So, uh, just a general question, what if anything do football shirts mean to you? So I don't really I don't really wear them
2: much anymore apart from to play football. Okay. Um but it's completely in that like it's definitely nostalgia based for me. Like like I used to I was I used to, as a kid I was obsessed with football <laughs> shirts and, and tracksuits and goalkeeper gloves and football boots and who wore what and yeah, you know what was the most obscure football kit, and I could find and things like that. So it's all it's all nostalgia for me, and I think having worked in it and stuff, that there's an element of like sometimes where it's like I'm not a fifth kit, do they need a fifth shirt? But like on you know, then again, every now and again, I'll see something and go, oh, fuck, like, I love that. I remember <laughs> seeing that in, I remember seeing that in JJB Sports when I was x and i'll be kind of taken back to that time and place and yeah. i'm quite like that about everything i remember really bored well to other people boring detail and stuff like oh that was the shirt they wore when this this and this and i'm like a little bit like that with records i'm like that with trainers right. i'm like that with football generally I'm, I'm just quite a bit of a i think my parents just would say like a bit of a stato a bit right. of like I remember that thing, and it's all very rose-tinted. You know what I mean? Like I'll see something like that. Wow, that was great, wasn't it, when that happened? And I like last week we did the the uh, the Paul McGrath um, podcast about him marking Bashir out of the game in in USA '94, and like I vividly remembered being in um, Salou with my family, a big family of kind of scousers who adopted Ireland as their team in that World Cup and we, we kind of, you know, and I remembered all and that's when I had that, I had that Juventus shirt and it was a Baggio shirt and stuff. So it's all linked into like, as as everything is with football, for someone who's overly sentimental like me, it's like, it reminds me of my granddad and it remember, reminds me of family holidays and it reminds me of being bought something and falling in love with it. So I think that's what they, they mean to me. Um, Generally, I think it, it it's, Sometimes I'm a bit jaded and a bit like, phew, but so every now and again something I'll just hit the spot and I'll be like, it'll take me back to like a perfect moment.
1: Nice, nice. So you picked three kits and we're going to go into your first kit, which is the Real Madrid 0102 by Adidas, the home shirt, the white one. How come did you picked this one, mate? Um, Steve McManaman. Right, basically,
2: he was uh, he was my hero growing up. And like I loved Robbie Fowler, I loved Michael Owen, Rush, and all that. But McManaman was like, he was a skinny kid with with curly red hair there, and that was yeah. that was what I wanted to be. <laughs> um, and I, na- I nearly the year he left, I nearly got the Liverpool shirt with McManaman on the back. And I right. remember being in the club shop and there was all these Bosman. I didn't know what it was at the time, but there was this rumor going round that he was going to leave, and I kind of bottled it. And, and and I think I got a goalkeeper kit. Oh wow! And then he went to rennes He went to uh, Real Madrid and then I was was even more obsessed because, as I said, the more obscure, the better. And, like, um, we used to go on family holidays to Spain and stuff and I just always wanted wanted the Real Madrid shirts because I wanted to be like Steve McManaman. And the reason I particularly like this one is just because it's like the anti-modern football shirt, right? They've just taken everything, pretty much everything off it. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, and it looks like it could be from like 1972 or something. Yeah. Um, which I which I really like. And I think only clubs like Barcelona, Real Madrid are, are brave enough to do that. actually you know, Celtic do it every now and again. Celtic go super, super back, back to basics. But um yeah. I think you've got to be like a gargantuan, um, confident club to just go, ah, fuck it, we're just gonna take everything off. It's just gonna be the crest, yeah. maybe three stripes, and that's it. So I really like the shirt, but as, as with everything, as we've just discussed, it just reminds me of kind of like snatching glimpses of McMahon playing in
1: La Liga. Yeah. And he was quality over there, wasn't he? He had like a real good time Real for it, I think.
2: Yeah, I think he was probably one of, I mean, of that era. Because obviously there was a lot of players who, who, who went in the era before abroad, like Gascoigne and stuff. But I think he yeah. was the success story of that era, you know? I think... Beckham had a bit of an iffy start in Madrid and kind of turned it around. Michael Owen had a ton time. But McManaman, I think he, what, did he win the Champions League
1: twice? <laughs> yeah, not, good point. He certainly won it in that shirt. He came on in the final, didn't he?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he scored, scored in the Champions League final. I wrote about it in the MAG a while
1: ago. Moving on, so the next shirt you've picked, is another Spanish shirt, but it's a national team shirt and it's an away shirt from Euro 2000. How come you pick this one? The,
2: the Spain shirt, yeah, it was it was one that I knew was expensive, I suppose. It was a real kind of, can I have that thing on holiday? Yeah. It was one I knew that not not a lot of people, if anyone, would have yeah. when I got back to England. And that was kind of something that I really wanted. And it was one that I kept for like maybe 10 years after I had it. And that's oh, wow. not something that I really knew. Did it still fit you? It Probably not. Probably not, to be honest, but it was kind of like, yeah, I can't throw this thing away. Um, yeah. But I don't really remember much about that team, I suppose. That Spanish team was like before the real golden
1: era. But um, yeah, I just loved it. I loved the shirt. Yeah. Did you take much of an interest in Spain in that tournament at all then? Because you had the shirt, it was just pure for the fact that it was a bit rare and something you could show off with.
2: I think we always kind of, I think I always quite liked the Spanish team. Yeah. I don't think uh, um, I loved Raul and put and on players like that. But I don't know, it was, it was a bit, it was a kind of a, it wasn't quite that Torres team, I suppose. So yeah. It, it wasn't something that I really, um. I was passionate about, but like, it, I, you know, I quite like them. I quite like them as a team.
1: Yeah. And it's a great shirt. It's great, classic, classy bit of Adidas. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of got all the
2: hallmarks of, of a great Adidas shirt and similar to the, the Real Madrid one I suppose
1: it, it could be from sort of any anywhere in that kind of 30 year period which I quite like about it so mate for your third shirt you've stuck with Adidas that's so quite interesting quite telling perhaps but yeah, maybe, you've, maybe. You've, you've picked something quite interesting here it's the Liverpool 94 to 96 third shirt by Adidas now all mm. the amazing shirts that Adidas did for Liverpool you've gone and picked this one tell me why
2: uh, I think it was my first shirt or it's certainly the first shirt I remember right um, like having and having Fowler 23 on the back and like having the shorts and having the socks um but this is the one I like I remember going to the club shop and getting it printed um and and that and, and you know I'm a bit soft in in that like i have just kind of explained, so it just reminds me of being so proud of it and, and wearing it to death. And, and it's obviously absolutely abysmal, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. one, of the, one of the first shirts we've ever had. What I do like is uh, the shorts were incredible. They were just black shorts with with sort of gold hoops. The the last uh-huh. stripes, um, okay. and they were unbelievable. I think the picture I sent you is them playing in a long-sleeve version, which is somehow worse than the short sleeve, because the, the, the <laughs> Adidas stripes are just like on the elbow, and the sleeve just continues. Wow, but um, I think it's the print
1: because it's like the crest is kind of sublimated in the design like, yeah. all over, also at different sizes, yeah. which is just weird.
2: Yeah, it's rubbish. it's It's a really it's a really bad shirt, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it to bits and used to, and, and wore it till it felt a bit until far I was peeling off the back. <laughs> and that just remi- it reminds me of like first starting to play football and first starting to go to football training and stuff, and, and that's why I love it so much. Right, um, and I, there's all these. I think there's like loads of mad. F- the best thing about Liverpool away and, and third kit in that era is we just never really cracked. Like, what if we play Sunderland? So there's like, there's like, it, we've got like that shirt on and a pair of red shorts and a pair of green socks or something. It, it was something that from about 1991 until about 2002, we never really cracked. It was like, just have an away kit that doesn't have black shorts and, and we'll be totally fine. Yeah, you'll be all uh, right. And uh, so yeah, it just reminds me of that. It's 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 not a golden era for for Liverpool by any stretch of the imagination. No. Um, on the pitch, but, but definitely like an amazing era of. I think it was the sort of changing of the guard in 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 elite football where you'd see if you see them training in that era, they've kind of all just got their own stuff on and and they've got away kits on and stuff. And it was right.
1: it was when football just seemed a little bit ramshackle still and like was Fowler the guy for you then was he? Was there no question you were getting him on the back of the shirt well it was McManaman but his name was just really long and expensive oh you're paying by the letter at the club shop <laughs> yeah <laughs> um,
2: but like Fowler was Fowler was what everyone had on their shirt you know he was he was what you got on the back of your shirt I suppose McManaman was always my favourite player um, but like yeah Fowler 23 as well before he moved to number 9
1: yeah, the Michael Jordan number. It's
2: nice. Yeah. yeah, I always
1: argue that. Yeah, it's the way it's Robbie, Robbie Fowler. <laughs> it, I, <laughs> I wonder. If, I wonder if Michael Jordan knows who Robbie Fowler is. I don't know whether Robbie Fowler knows Michael
2: Jordan is. I, I think maybe it's the way. I don't think Robbie Fowler knows who Michael Jordan is. I think
1: probably that it's that way around. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd like to. I'd like to hear a podcast where the two of them meet. To be honest, see how that pans out. So, mate, what, what's uh, what, what's next for you guys at Mundial? Um, we just need to see what this year holds. To, to be completely frank, we need,
2: you know, uh, football has returned, but not, not, not in the way that we can interact with it to the best of our ability. Um, yeah. We want to be going to matches, we want to be on the ground, but we're, we're, we're obviously very aware we can't do that until it's safe. Uh, the Euros plays a big part in in what we're going to do next, I suppose, and we've got <laughs> loads of plans. We've got loads of plans for audio and video. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> With the baby uh, crying. <laughs> yeah, I've got loads of plans for bedtime, and watching In the Night Garden and stuff like that, um, more <laughs> pressingly, but more of, more of the same in answer to your question.
1: Nice, mate. Nice. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And thanks so much for your time, mate. Oh, thanks
2: very much. I enjoyed that. I, yeah, it's something I, I really like talking about. And thanks for, thanks for your patience. No worries, it. man. No worries.
1: Well, there you have it. Massive thanks to Dan for sharing his football kit memories with me. Of course, you'll have heard a bit of noise in the background, but as you'll no doubt be aware, this is still a podcast made with the aid of a free Zoom account and a blanket over my head to make my voice sound a little bit more sexy. I really do appreciate every single one of you that follows me on social and shares the podcast. It helps it grow and keeps me on my toes. So really, I just wanted to say thanks for the help. And other than that, I guess that's it. Until next time, I'll see you later.